0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 29th, 2022. It is currently 10.59 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. I wish... I could tell you that what you are about to hear is going to be beneficial. And I know you're not supposed to do this, but let me just tell you what you're about to hear is probably going to be a waste of your time. I, I, I should, should I, should I say that? I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, can I state it this way? You're about to hear me discuss something in which I have no answers for. I'm going to bring up an issue, and I don't have any answers. I'm going to bring up a problem, and I don't have a solution. I'm going to bring up a difficulty, and I have no way to resolve it. Maybe the benefit simply is listening to someone on a theology podcast willing to acknowledge the difficulty was something. Now you could say, well, the last hour you did that and now you're going to do it again. I'm, I'm going to try to even really try to emphasize it even more. I don't think there's a solution. I really don't. Now, let me just tell you, in the last live broadcast, I said that in some ways it was the end of this week's Bible study exercise, but it also kind of signifies a beginning. It, it, we, we're, we're, we've begun looking at a, a verse that I just cannot figure out it can I can I place it in the category there is no way to interpret this verse in a way that doesn't lead to just massive contradiction and problems I, can I say that I don't even know I'm supposed to say that let me let me just do this welcome everyone to another episode in this week's Bible study exercise this week we've been looking at Genesis 39. And we've been dealing with the subject of temptation. While Genesis 39 seems relatively straightforward, it does bring up the, it does relate obviously to the subject of temptation. And how can you discuss the subject of temptation and not look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which reads, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And our last study, I took us to John MacArthur's commentary on First Corinthians. I have it right here. And after we were finished reading everything he had to say, basically the way we would conclude MacArthur's teaching is this. You do not have to sin. If you are a Christian, you have the ability, you have the power to not sin. You can resist sin. You can stop sinning. You can overcome sin. Now, he never said it, but it's clearly implied. Therefore, spiritual perfection, moral perfection is within your grasp as a Christian. You can just stop sinning because there is no temptation. There's going to be no enticement for you to go against God's standards that you cannot resist. And I'm assuming this would be in your mind, in your words, in your actions, and in your attitudes. You can resist sin. You have the power. You have the ability. God God controls the temptation that comes to you. So you're not going to experience any temptation that you cannot resist because God is determining which temptations come into your life. And number two, with each one, he there's a way to escape it. There's a way to escape it. There's a way to you to make it through it. And then he ended his commentary without any, without asking any questions, without any explanation, simply using an illustration from Pilgrim's Progress that basically says, hey, when you end up in the dungeon of temptation, God gives you the key to open the door and walk out. That's basically the, basically I'll just paraphrase the way it works. And that just leaves us with so many questions because wait a minute, are you saying that we can be sinless? Are you saying we can be without sin? And if you're saying that, then why hasn't for 2,000 years, that hasn't occurred? Because Christian sin, 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 sin. So I gave you some assignments to work on. I haven't heard from anyone yet. Now, to be fair, that was only about 15 or 20 minutes ago. So I'm already like, where are the responses? Because I want you to figure this out now. So then what I did is I just kind of walked around the church for about 15 to 20 minutes, just going from everywhere I found books because if you if you've ever been in this church you, there are books everywhere there's books on a table behind the pulpit there's books back here on this table there's books in the library there's books everywhere and i just started walking around for any book i could find that had anything to do with 1 Corinthians 10:13 i went to um, one of my apps where i have who knows how many commentaries i just looked at every commentary 1 Corinthians 10:13 i i i i started doing google searches reading everything i could find and no one has Put it this way. No one even realizes. It seems like Christianity is completely unaware that that this verse even is a problem. It just seems like Christians, like wherever you read, it's like, hey, this is a wonderful promise. You'll never be tempted beyond what you can handle. You can do it. You can resist. You don't have to sin. Stop sinning. Thank you for reading my article. One of them, it was very, it was this like very basic, like, it was like a paragraph. And then it said, if you found this helpful, you know, donate $10. And I'm like, $10 for what? You, you didn't, <laughs> Yeah, I need to start doing, if you found, I mean, we've spent more time discussing it than their, their little article. I was going to read it to you, but it, it's just, it's just so frustrating. But I went from article to article to article, website to website, to website to website. Now everyone does agree that first Corinthians 10, 13 is misused, it it seems that what you cannot do with 1 Corinthians 10 13, almost everyone seems to be in agreement with this. If someone is suffering, if someone is going through some, some horrible situation, you can't simply say, Well, God won't, God won't will only give you what you can handle. That that's a misuse of the scripture. You can't say that, hey, you're going through this horrible trial. Hey, God will only give you what you can handle. God will only give you what you can. You can't apply it in a sense to Trial, you can't apply it to tribulation or suffering. You can only apply it to enticement to sin. That's what some seems seem to indicate. However, MacArthur almost well he he mentioned Job. I, I can't say that he completely connected it. But if, if so, you would say was what did God only give Job what he could handle? would, would that be applicable to Job? If it's applicable to Job, then wouldn't that would not be applicable to anybody. But nobody wants to look at someone who's got, you know, stage four cancer, suffering, dying. Some woman who's been raped, or some child who was abused, and say, "Well, you know, God only gave you what you can handle." Nobody wants to say that. So, so everyone seems to remove it from that category. Now, that's important to 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 understand because that would seem to imply that we cannot read it this way. There hath no trial. There hath no tribulation taking you but such as common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tried tribulation above what you are able so so it seems like you can't you can't translate it that way you can only translate it now macarthur tried to indicate well that it could be a trial because trials demonstrate how godly you are and a temptation entices you to evil and it's all based on your response so when I face a difficulty, a pain, suffering, trial, tragedy, is, is that, does, does, is God in control of that? Or he's the only control? This, see, that just actually, that just leads into more questions. So are we saying that if someone suffers greatly, God wasn't in control of that suffering that they endured? So that someone could suffer a trial that they cannot handle. And that God is not involved in it. Well, that that gets into that begins to destroy the sovereignty of God, the providence of God that works all things according to his good pleasure and will. Now that raises some very difficult situations And someone who suffers horribly. Then you say, well, then God, either, either you have to say, God, either, let's just be honest, you don't have a lot of good options here, right? That person suffers horribly. Either you have to say, God didn't know it was going to happen and couldn't stop it from happening. Or you have to say, God knew it but couldn't stop it. Or you have to say God knew it, could stop it, but didn't stop it. (laughs) Like like you still are left with, even if you don't, even if you say, hey guys, don't mention 1 Corinthians 10, 13, because that's so insensitive to say that, hey, hey, God will only give you what you can handle. Don't do that. But I guess you can say that, hey, you're over there and you suffered some temptation and you sinned. Well, you need to realize you could have resisted that sin because God will only give you what you can handle when it comes to enticement to sin but not to trials. So God doesn't, what do you, it just seems like, it just seems like you're just talking in circles at that point. Just to show you how confusing this gets. I love this. I love this. So here is this, (laughs) there is this website. Okay. Oh, here's the one that gives (laughs) here's the one that gives you like two paragraphs and says, hey, give us $5 (laughs) for this article. Oh, I have to laugh because it's so it's so ridiculous. Where is this one? Okay, I got to find this one. This one is great. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 10:13 is a verse that is quoted often within the visible church as a form of encouragement. However, Christians should note that Paul's words are actually a sharp two-edged sword that rebukes as well as assures. If God does not allow any temptation greater than the believer can withstand, then surely Christians never have a valid excuse for succumbing to sin. Are you ready for this? Although no believer avoids sins entirely, there is no temptation to sin that cannot be resisted. (laughs) So you have no excuse for succumbing to sin. You have none. If you fall into sin, you have no excuse. However, no believer can avoid sin entirely. So, you have no excuse but you're never going to be sinless. However, there is no temptation that cannot be resisted. So, you have you have no there's no excuse but you're you're still going you're still you're never going to be sinless. However, you can resist every sin. So, I can't make an excuse. I'm still going to sin. However, there is no temptation to sin that I cannot resist. I can resist it all, but I will not. Well, if I will not, why can't I? <laughs> like, I? This is so maddening. Like, like this should not, this should not be the way this works within a biblical Christianity. But this is just maddening. So I've got to make sure I understand this. Hey, you're gonna continue to sin. However, you don't have to. Okay, well, then. If I don't have to, then why will I not stop sinning? Because the minute you say, well, wait a minute, you're still going to sin because you have a sinful nature. You have a sinful nature and you, you cannot be perfect. If you tell me that I cannot be perfect, you can't turn around in the same breath and say, however, how, you can resist all sin. No, either I can or I cannot And for me to be able to to be... If you say that I possess the ability to resist every sin, right? That I literally possess that ability. Then you're telling me I can be sinless. Therefore, that would require the eradication of the old nature. That the old nature can be completely eradicated. Or it has been eradicated in my salvation. And therefore, I can be sinless. Yeah, I don't know how Christians... can can Christians not just realize how utterly insane we sound? Hey, guys, we can stop. We can resist all sin. There is no temptation that we will face that we cannot resist. God gives us the ability. He controls which temptations you do receive. You can do it. However, you can't do it perfectly. Well, if you say, I can't do it perfectly, then that means you. Then there is a limit there. You, you, you've just... You've just contradicted yourself completely, but let's do this. Let, let, let's just, let, so everyone seems to agree that it's, that it's insensitive to look at someone and go, Hey, look, you're, you're suffering horribly, but God would not give you more than you can handle. So you we can't, we can't say that, right? That seems to be outside the, uh, the playing field. That's out of bounds. It appears. And there's there's entire books written about verses that have been misused and misunderstood. Okay. However, I can say, look, you're, you 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 fell into sin. You, you you sinned last night? Well, whatever you were being tempted to do, God did not give you that temptation. In other words, God controlled that temptation. He only gave you a temptation that you could resist. So you could have resisted it. You could have resisted it. Now, now, so I can't apply it to a trial, but if once I apply it to temptation, I want to make sure what you under I want to make sure you understand what is occurring here. This is very important, okay. You are saying that God is the one that controls which temptations you face and which temptations you do not face. So he may not be sovereign. It's almost like everyone is afraid to say he is sovereign over the trials you face. Nobody wants to seem to imply that. But everyone has, seems to have no problem saying, hey, the temptation you get, he knows. And so he's only going to give you the temptation that you can withstand. Well, then, but I mean, this is just a logical question that every Christian would have to ask, right? Okay. So God, he sees that it's 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 Friday morning, right? And, and God looks down, and it's like, okay, on, on Friday night at about 11 o'clock, I'm going to give that Christian right there, I'm going to allow a temptation to come into his life because we know God doesn't do the tempting, but this seems to indicate God controls the tempting, all right? So I'm going to allow that temptation. Now, I know what's going to happen. By 1130, 1145, by 1230 a.m., by 1 a.m., they're going to sin. He knows exactly when the sin's going to take place. Well, if he knows the sin is going to take place and he allows the sin in, what difference does it make if he knows that the person can escape it because he knows the person is not going to escape it? So why would he not just Hold them away from that sin. John MacArthur implied in his commentary that when they came to arrest Jesus, the reason the other disciples were not arrested is Jesus prevented them from being arrested because he knew that they could not handle it. Now wait, was that so that the arrest would be a temptation? And and so, well, if 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 Jesus knew they couldn't handle it, anytime I sin, did that does that not demonstrate that I Even if you say, well, you could handle it, it demonstrates that I won't handle it. And God is sovereign and all-knowing, so he knows before I sin that I'm going to sin. So why wouldn't he just keep that temptation away? Like, he knew David was going to sin. Why didn't he just stop that from happening, stop the temptation from occurring? But he allowed the temptation to happen, knowing that David was going to sin. But you're telling me, but God... But God only gave him the temptation that he knew David could, so David could have resisted it. God gave him a way of escape, but David sinned. So therefore, what, like, I don't even understand then what's the point of emphasizing God's control there? Hey, God's only going to give you what you can handle, but he's going to give you temptations that he knows you're going to fail in. He had to know that by delaying When Isaac, would, when Sarai would get pregnant, he had to know that delaying Sarai from getting pregnant would lead them to being tempted to use their their, uh, Egyptian handmaid Hagar in order to to have a child. So God could have simply allowed Sarai to get pregnant much earlier and then they never would have been tempted for uh, Abram, Abram to sleep with Hagar. I mean... Like like, well, God could have pre- uh, prevented Lot and Abram with g- being so blessed materialistically that they, they that they had to separate because they had so much cattle and so and so many things that they they couldn't it couldn't sustain them. So Lot then had to go a different direction. Well, he knew the minute that Lot went a different direction that Lot was going to end up inside of Sodom which was going to ultimately result in not only the death of Lot's wife but Lot in a basically in a cave with his daughters drunk engaged in incest I mean God had to know that when Israel sent spies into the promised land, that they were going to come back and there, that report was going to be a source of temptation and then they were going to rebel and then that was going to lead them to wandering around for 40 years. And God had to know, even before they left Egypt, he had to know that. So he could, why didn't he? But he allowed that temptation to occur, knowing that they could escape it. But what's the point of knowing you can escape it if he knows that you're not going to escape it? <laughs> Hey, I know you can escape it, but I know you're not going to escape it. I know you're not going to resist it, even though I know you can. And even though my power is available for you to do it, I know you're not going to use it, but I'm still going to let you have the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that you are able. This literally puts God in control. If you, if you remove this from trial, this has nothing to do with trial. This has nothing to do with tribulation. This simply has to do with temptation. Then there is no temptation. And then again, a temptation, anything can be a source of temptation. Anything that incites or entices you, I should say, to go against God's standard in thought, word, attitude, action, if God is in control of the temptation, how do you work this out? If God is in control of the temptation, then he knows clearly, not only is he in control of it, he knows what's going to happen. It's almost like Christians are like, well, he knows what's going to happen, but but, but the, the focus isn't on what God did. The focus is on what you did or didn't do. Well, why wouldn't the focus be, well, wait a minute. If God knows I'm going to sin, why would he give me a temptation? He knows that I am able to withstand it, but if he knows that I'm not going to withstand it, then why would he bring that temptation into my life knowing it's going to lead to sin when obviously God is the one controlling which temptations are present or which temptations are not present? You would almost have to, now listen, I'm just going to say it, I'm not saying this dogmatically. I'm saying that this would lead to almost the idea that God knows some sins are going to occur. He doesn't do anything to stop that sin from occurring almost like it's a part of God's sovereign providence or plan. Now you got to be careful by saying that because then I could I could look back at my life and go, well, see? Not my fault. Okay, I, I'm not in any way implying that is true. I'm saying this could lead to that way of thinking. But again, I just want you to see how Christians handle this. All right. God does not allow any temptation greater than the, the, than the believer can withstand. Then surely Christians never have a valid excuse for succumbing to sin. Although no believer avoids sin entirely. There is no temptation to sin that cannot be resisted. So you're you're going to sin. But you can resist it. And God is in charge of the temptation that you experience. <laughs> that. That is like such circular reasoning. It's like it's like being a hamster on one of those wheels and you're just running and 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 after four hours of considering it, you stop the wheel and you're like, wait a minute, I'm still in the same cage. I haven't gone anywhere. Okay, well, that's where, Theologically, it's like I'm running and running and running and running and running. And it's like, okay, all right, good. After four hours of consideration, oh wait, we're still stuck. So it's like, Everyone seems like all, everything that I read online, is like, hey, stop using this, telling someone who's suffering that God will not give them more than they can bear. Don't do that, implying almost that God may give you more than you can actually bear. <laughs> or you have to say God is not in charge at all of the suffering that comes into your life, but then that's not necessarily, that, that, that destroys God's sovereignty. And Then what about Job? And then if every trial can be a temptation, like, oh, it's just, you just, it it doesn't seem to make any sense at all. So I'm sitting here thinking a thing. So first, let's just do this because we have to, all right, because everyone focuses on the word temptation that is used in verse 13, all right? I told everyone to do this work. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to go to the Blue Letter Bible app, 1 Corinthians 10:13. I'm going to open up the antilenniar. Temptation. All right? All right. here's it. the first use of temptation in 1 Corinthians 10:13 is this Greek word. Here we go. Strong's G3986, pairasmas. Pyrasmas. Pyrasmas. I can't roll my R's. Pyrasmas. Pyrasmas. It is used 21 times. Pyrasmas is uh, it's translated temptation 19 times, temptations one time. Strong's definition. Pyrasmas, putting to rep- to proof, experiment, solicitation, discipline, provocation, by implication, adversity, temptation. So it can mean. It basically, it can mean a test. It can mean a test. It can mean a solicitation. It can mean a provocation. It can mean adversity. So it could be an adversity. It could be a test. It could be something. It could be a lot. So in other words, the word can be translated. It can mean a lot of different things. If you look at the outline of biblical usage here, there's a lot of things going on here. It can be an experiment, attempt, trial, proving, so it can be, it's almost like, okay, God will not allow any test to come into your life that you're not able to withstand. Well, is that only, is that a trial difficulty or is that just sin? People don't like the trial implication because when someone is suffering some horrible trial, they don't want you to go up to somebody and go, hey, God's only going to give you what you can handle. So get over it and handle it. Okay. well, well, well Okay, but at the same time, the word seems to Im- involve not only, it's its a trial. Uh, they go on, trial, proving the trial made of you by my bodily condition, since condition served as a test of the love of the Galatians towards Paul. Galatians 4.14, the trial of a man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, co- constancy, an enticement to sin, temptation, whether arising from the desire's or from the outward circumstances. Now, again, this seems to say it could be referred to a temptation that arises from your own desires that arises from within you. So God is not going to let you desire anything you're unable to resist Now, those desires are a part of our sinful flesh. So my sinful flesh will never desire that which I cannot resist. And God will always give me a way of escape to escape the very desires arising from within me. See, the more we dive into the meaning of the word, the more problematic the whole situation becomes. Okay, so it it seems to imply that it can be a trial. But I'm not supposed to look at someone going through a horrible trial going, "Hey, well God will only give you what you can handle." I'm not supposed to say that. But I can look at someone facing some horrible temptation and say, "Well, you know, God won't give you a temptation that you can't handle." But but it it's this I have this desire well God will God won't let your desire be more than you can handle. It would be interesting Now, I know I can't prove this, but it would be interesting if we could take every Christian who has ever existed, male or female, every Christian who's ever existed, and find out how many engaged in some form of sexual sin physically, whether premarital sex, adultery, uh, well, I, I don't want to get too graphic, but uh, let's just say uh, sexual pleasure of oneself. Okay, we'll, we'll just do it that way. All right. Um, just so, so, just just go from that, right? So, how many have actually engaged in some kind of physical sexual sin, whether before marriage, during marriage, or whether married or unmarried, but not involving another person, but with with oneself? All right. How I wonder, like, if we had a video to show how many Christians engaged in those practices. Now, those, that, that comes from in a, that temptation is a desire that is inside of you. The desire for, for those physical relations that, for, for sexual pleasure. It's a natural desire. Now, we may fulfill it in a sinful way, but I wonder how many Christians have, have failed in that way. Then you take all the ones who engaged in it in some physical way, and then you remove all of that and you say, okay, let's forget that. How many sinned sexually in their mind? Because Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. How many adulterers are walking around in the church of Jesus Christ? Male and female. Because in Genesis 39, we see we see the woman there. She's the one who had lust. So a woman can have lust, a man can have lust. How many have engaged in sin? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God will not give you a desire that you're not able. Because if you believe this temptation can refer to an internal temptation uh, that arises from your own desire. Well, then you should be able to combat that very desire. So there should be, so that means all Christians, There. why would there be that much rampant sexual sin in some way, shape, or form if you can resist it? You can just make it go away. You can just overcome it. The word goes on. I mean, it, it's just, there's so much here. Um, an internal temptation to sin. See that Once again, it's something that's inside of us of the temptation by which the devil sought to divert Jesus, the Messiah, from his divine Aaron, of the condition of things or a mental state by which we are enticed to sin or to elapse from faith and holiness. So it can refer to a condition of things or a mental state. Adversity, affliction, trouble sent by God serving to test or prove one's character, faith, and holiness. Now here we have adversity and affliction. I, I, so once again if someone's going to some great adversity and some affliction can i say is it wrong to say well god won't give you more than you can handle well people say no 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 it doesn't it doesn't appeal it doesn't refer to that well then are you saying god is not in control of what those people are facing I, again you you end up with just one question after another I think every time someone teaches on first corinthians 10 13 something bad no the the Every time someone preaches on 1 Corinthians 10, 13, they have to do everything in their power to just not bring up all of these questions. And, and I'm unwilling, I'm just not willing to do that. Uh, temptation, trial, rebellion against God by which his power and justice are, as it were, put to the proof and challenged to show themselves. So, I mean, para, para, paras, Parasmos, um, uh and Basically, it's used to talk about so many different things. So when I read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taking you but just such as common to man. It could refer to many things. Now, if we put it back in the context here, this is referring to historically Israel's history. Everything Israel experienced. Now, let's remember, God brings them out of bondage and then leads them into specific situations where they are tested, very trials and difficulties, whether lack of food or water, and they start grumbling, whatever the situation, giants in the land, like one situation after another. Now God, so God gave them what he knew they would fail. So he obviously knew they were going to fail, but he gave them what they could handle, even though he knew that they wouldn't handle it. What's the point of knowing, hey, you can handle it, but I'm still going to bring you to it knowing you're going to fail. <sighs> what? Hey, 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 just you just realize God's not going to give you more than you can handle when it comes to temptation. But he's going to put you in situations where he knows you're going to absolutely fail. I, I don't know what we do with this. I don't really know what we do with this. And again, all of the commentaries are just like, they're just all over the place. They're just, they're just all over the place. In fact, let's just do this really quick. So looking up the, the Greek there is not of much help of any sort. Uh, I'm just going to go, let's go to Barnes notes of the Bible, just because I have it right here. All right. There hath no temptation taken you. What temptation the apostle refers to here is not quite certain. It is probable, however, that he refers to such as would in their circumstances have a tendency to induce them to forsake their allegiance to their Lord and to lead them into idolatry and sin. Now, now this is interesting. This they are saying that obviously the, the people that's being referred to here, there has no temptation taken you. This is referring specifically to the believers at the church Corinth, and we don't know exactly which temptation it's referring to, but whatever temptation it is, it's specific to them. All right. Now, do do we try to do we try to Find a way to pull this back to only the historical setting and not have any application to us. I'm not saying we should do that. I mean, at this point, let's just be honest. You can throw out any theory you want on this because clearly the commentary, the commentators don't care enough to even try to figure this out. And it appears that, that many uh, sermons don't care enough to try to figure this out. All right, and if you hear those sirens going by, I don't. Well, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Texas. When you hear that many sirens going by, something has happened. Probably a horrible car wreck. So I don't know what's what's going on. But if you hear that, that's what's happening. All right. So let's continue here. Um, there hath no temptation taken you. What temptation the apostle refers to here is not quite certain. It's probably probable, probable, however, that he refers to such as would, in their circumstances, have a tendency to induce them to forsake their allegiance to their Lord and lead them into idolatry and sin. These might be either open persecutions or afflictions on account of their religion. Now, see here, this seems to be now uh, applying it to some kind of trial, some kind of difficulty, some kind of suffering. In other words, God will not give them more suffering than they can handle. This seems to take it, but that suffering could induce them to idolatry or to denying God. So, Is this only, can we only refer to this verse as about a temptation to sin or can we refer this to anything? A trial, a difficulty, because a trial or difficulty can be an enticement to sin or abandon God. But God will not give you any trial or temptation that is so great that you will not abandon God. I, maybe, maybe I'm stumbling onto something there. Okay, I'll I'll state that again in a minute, okay? Let's, I'm stopping on purpose because I'm getting ready to say something, but I'm going to stop because I'm just trying to get us to think this through. All right. Um, These might be either persecutions, uh, open persecutions or afflictions on account of their religion, or they might be various allurements which were spread around them from the prevalency of idolatry. Or could this just be things that are alluring them in the city of Corinth? they might be the open attacks of their enemies or the sneers and the derision uh, uh, of the frivolous and the great the design of the apostle evidently is to show them that if they were faithful they had nothing to fear from any such forms of temptation but that god was able to bring them through them all the sentiment in the verse is very important one since the great principle here stated is as applicable to christians now as it was to the corinthians so they're saying hey we don't really know what they were facing could have been a number of things, but hey, this is applicable to us today. All right, so so they're not gonna leave it. They, they they try to connect it to the historical and then they're gonna pull it from the historical and say, okay, this is for all of us. All right. Then they take the word taken you, or as the King James has it, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. hath no temptation taken you. Okay, they, they're using the King James. Taken you, all right. Uh, see, this is the idea of seized upon you, or assailed you, as when an enemy grasps us and attempts to hold us fast. So no temptation has seized you, grabbed you. No temptation has has taken you. All right. But such is common to man. Now, nobody seems to have any major problem. In other words, all temptations that we face, they're common. They're common. Every person faces all the similar kinds of temptations. Now, in other words, we're not facing some kind of temptation that other people aren't facing, that other people haven't faced in the past. Then they say, but God is faithful. This was the only source of security, and this was enough. If they looked only to themselves, they would fall. If they depended on the faithfulness of God, they would be secure. The sense is not that God would keep them without any effort of their own, nor that he would secure them if they plunged into temptation, but that if they used the proper means, if they resisted temptation and sought his aid and depended on his promises, then he would be faithful. This is everywhere implied in the scriptures. And to depend on the faithfulness of God otherwise than in the proper use of means and to uh, avoiding the places of temptation is to tempt him and provoke him to wrath. See the notes on Matthew 4. So basically, hey, God's faithful, God is there, but you gotta do your part. You can't just run into temptation. You can't go to the places where temptation is strong. You got to do your part. But if you'll do your part, then God will do his part. And his part is to, I guess, help you resist it. But wait a minute. So God is only faithful if I do my part? Or isn't God the one allowing the temptation or prohibiting the temptation? Like, Hey, God will only be faithful if you do your part, but isn't he the one controlling the temptation in the first place? Who will not suffer you to be tempted, that is a general promise, just as applicable to all Christians as it, as it was to the Corinthians. It implies, number one, that all circumstances, causes, and agents that lead to temptation are under the control of God. So anything that brings temptation, this would be circumstances, this would be trials, this would be difficulty, this would be anything. God is in control of it. Well, okay, well then, why are you saying I got to do my part? God's part is, he's literally the one going, okay, there they are, here's the temptation for you. There you go, it's yours. Now, I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to sin, but it's yours. That raises so many philosophical questions. I don't even know where to stop. And I don't even know where to begin. They go on to say. Every man that tempts another. Every fallen spirit that is engaged in this. Every book, picture, place of amusement. Every charm of music and of song. Every piece of indecent uh, indecent material. Uh, every plan of business of gain or ambition are all under the control of God. He can check them. He can control them. He can paralyze their influence. He can destroy them. And then they they say, look at Matthew 6, 13. That, that, <laughs> that is bad. That is that raises so many questions. It raises so many questions. All right. Matthew 6, 13. Okay, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, I don't know why they want us to, to go there, but okay. Um, so I want you to hear this again, all right? This is very important. Every man, so any person that tempts, another another person, every fallen spirit, so every demonic spirit, that is engaged in tempting, every book, Picture, place of amusement, charm of music, song, every piece of indecent material, say pornography, movies, whatever, um, are all under the control of God. He can check them. He can control them. He can paralyze their influence and he can destroy them. So everything of temptation, God could get rid of, but he doesn't get rid of it. And then he controls it and then allows it to show up and attempt you. So you're putting God in charge of all of it. So let me, again, I have to state if God is in charge of it and he knows you're going to sin, what difference does it make that you put the emphasis on? Well, he's not going to give you more than you can handle because he's giving you the very thing he knows that you're going to fail in. He knew Abram and Sarai was going to fail with the struggle, with the temptation and not having a child. Boom! They sin. There comes Hagar. He knows Lot is not going to be able to handle getting away from Abram and getting away from Abraham. He's going to end up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and his wife's going to turn into a pillar of salt, and he's going to end up engaged in physical relations with his drunk— he's going to get drunk and engage in physical relations with his daughter. He knows Noah is going to get off the boat, take off all of his clothes and get drunk. He knows Israel is going to see giants in the land and then rebel and then have to wander around for 40 years dying. He knows Peter is going to deny him. He knows that David is going to commit adultery and murder. He knows Solomon is going to be a serial adulterer and a polygamist. He knows all of that. And he can control and paralyze those temptations, but he allows those temptations. Now you can say, well, they could have stopped it, but God knew that they weren't and allowed the temptation to come in anyway. So what point? Why? How, how is it helpful that, okay, God, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, but he will give you even that which he knows that you're going to fail in. <laughs> and if I, if he knows that I'm going to fail in it, then can I really abstain from it since his knowledge of me falling precedes my being tempted in the first place? <laughs> it's just it's just crazy what what you can find in commentaries. When people are tempted it is because God suffers or, per, or permits it, see? So if you're tempted, God God allows it. God God wants you to face that temptation. That's hard to comprehend. So if you're tempted, it's because God suffers or permits it. He himself does not tempt human beings. Okay. He may not be the one tempting it, but he's, I mean, it's so weird. Like God's not the one doing the tempting. He just takes the temptation and allows it to come to you. But he didn't tempt you. (laughs) He didn't tempt you. Okay. All right. He does not infuse evil thoughts into the mind. All right. I agree with that. He does not create an object of temptation to place in our way, but he suffers it to be placed there by others. So he may not put the thought in your mind, but he allows the thought to be there. He may not create the object that tempts you, but he's going to allow it to be brought into your path. He may not, he didn't create the pornography, but he's going to allow you to stumble upon it, see it, view it, have access to it. He's going to allow that temptation to come into your life. (laughs) this is hard stuff. When we are tempted, therefore, we are to remember that it is because he allows or permits it, not because he does it. His agency is that of of sufferance, not of creation. We are to remember too, that there are some good reasons why it is thus permitted. And it may be turned into some way to his glory and to our advancement in virtue. Hey, hey, it could be, God has a reason for it. So so then think about it. So temptation comes into your life, you fall into sin. Everyone runs around going, crucify him. That's it. Destroy him. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God allowed the temptation, knowing it was going to happen. Maybe God had a purpose in it. Do Christians ever stop? No, no, no. They just punish the sinner. Crucify him. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How, how, does it, how do we understand this in light of we see people's sin and failure? How, how do we see this? I mean, we read all the time of pastors falling into sin. Now, I'm not saying we should excuse it. Please hear me out. Oh, forget pastors, people in the congregation. There is a certain extent to which we are able to resist temptation. Now, please know, they're very careful. There's a certain extent to which we are able there is a limit to our power. There is a point beyond which we are not able to resist. We do not have the strength of angels. So they say there's a limit. So they they even they try to come along. So but, but there's a limit here. There's a, you can resist, but there's a limit. Well, wait a minute. There's a limit. So I there's a limit to what I can resist. However, God is only going to bring into my life what I can resist. But he's going to bring into my life what I can resist, even though he knows I will not resist. Yet he's still bringing it into my life. Why would he bring it into my life if he knows that I will not resist it, even though I can? That limit will, in all cases, be beyond the point to which we are tempted. If not, there would be no there. If not, there would be no sin and failing. Falling anymore. Then there is sin in the oak. When it is prostrated before the tempest. So in other words he's saying. So whatever temptation we face. We have the ability to resist it. Because if we didn't have the ability to resist it. Well then it wouldn't be considered sin. Because we wouldn't have the ability to resist it. All right? I understand the philosophical argument. Now would you say that. People who are unbelievers. Unbelievers that that is still do they have the ability to stop sinning do they ha, do does an unbeliever have to possess the ability of not sinning or it's not considered sin because if they possess the ability not to sin then you're back to pelagianism destroy and you're destroying total depravity so So what they're saying is for a believer, we have the ability not to sin because if we didn't have the ability. So if I have the ability not to sin, then you're telling me that I have the ability to be sinless because every sin I face, I have the ability to not do. So you're once again telling me I can be sinless. This is where all of these arguments lead to, all, all, all of these discussions lead to. If people fall into sin under the power of temptation, they only are to blame. They have strength to resist all temptations that assail them. And God gives them the assurance that no temptation shall occur, which they shall not be able by his aid to resist. In all instances, therefore, when people fall into sin and all the yielding to passion, to allurement and device, man is to blame and must be responsible to God. And and this is especially true of Christians who, whatever may be said of others, cannot plead that there, there was not power sufficient to meet the temptation or turn aside its power. So you have the ability to resist all temptation. You have the ability to resist every temptation as a Christian. Well, that means I can be sinless. No, but wait again. I, I minute. I cannot, just the circular reasoning here is insanity. All right, you're the only one to blame. However, let's go back and remember, God is the one who's gonna bring the temptation into your life. He's going to allow it. Knowing that you're going to sin. <laughs> but but you don't have to. So it's still your fault. But even though God knew you were going to do it and still allowed the temptation to come in, knowing you were going to fall. But it's still your fault. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'm continuing to read here. But with all temptation, he will, at the same time that he allows the trial of temptation to befall us, make a way of deliverance. He will save us from being entirely overcome by it. He will save us from being entirely overcome by it. That you may be able to bear it or that you may be able to bear up under it or endure it. God knows that his people are able to endure what his people are able to endure and has his entire control of all that that can affect them. He will adapt all trials to their strength. Well, that's see, that's going back to difficulties and trials. Um, So he's going to adapt the trial to your strength and will enable you to bear all that is appointed unto them. This is a general promise, and it is applicable to other Christians as it was to the Corinthians. It was was to them a positive promise as to all and the same circumstances. It must be regarded as such now, as it may be used therefore. So it's a ground of encouragement. It may be used as an argument that none who are true Christians and who are thus tried shall ever fall away or be lost. All right. And in that, well that's the end of it and th- there's more they add there as far as those two things but they don't they don't do any more to try to they don't they don't do anything to explain the utter confusion that they've just created that they're talking in circles i've told you i don't i don't know i don't know if there's a solution i don't know if there's a solution I, I don't know how you get look like, this is like literally this is a pit like literally we fall into this pit and there's no easy way to get out of this pit. So let's let's go through this. I know we're at right, 52 minutes again. All right. Look, we can't talk about temptation without dealing with this. We can't. We can't, there's just just no way to get around this verse because this verse is one, uh, sooner or later, all discussions of temptation go here. But everything I have here, every book that I have here on temptation, every commentary, it's this really weird, hey, you can resist it, but there's no discussion on why we continue to fall. But almost many of them, many of the books will at least throw in a line like, hey, you can't be sinless, you're still going to sin. However, you can resist all temptation. And it's like, what does that mean? Now we we, we read, I think the other day, the I, I can't remember what source we were reading. They tried to make an argument. Okay, well, you can stop sinning in action, but you can't stop sinning in maybe thought or attitude. Like those sins, you can't stop, but you can stop the action. Okay, well, okay, so I can resist any temptation that leads to action but i can't resist all temptation that leads to sin sinfulness of thought or attitude well does that does that like is that a, is that a victory somehow hey you're still going to sin in your mind you're still going to sin in your attitude you're going to still sin there you may even sin in your words but you can stop all actions like that that just seems that that seems problematic. That that does. I mean, you're just you're just now making verses say whatever you want. Here, I don't know if there's a solution. This is what I'm going to throw out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. Now we and I've got to be really careful how we say this. Sin is sin, and when we sin, we are guilty before God, and we we should be convicted by it. We must repent of it. We we I I'm by no mean am I any way undermining the seriousness seriousness of sin. But it's hard not to contemplate all of this and not start asking, well, wait a minute. Does God like you gotta you gotta stay with me here? And God's sovereignty and God's providence and God's plan, does he not he knows when sin's going to occur? Does he allow the temptation? Knowing the sin will occur because sin and failure is a part of his sovereign plan because it leads, it it demonstrates to us that we are still sinners and we still need the gospel and we still need to fight against it. In other words, is somehow sin a part of God's plan in order to demonstrate to us our own sinfulness and our own need for the gospel, and a constant reminder that we have not arrived. In other words, is it somehow is sin somehow a, a part of God's plan for our sanctification? Now that, that, that I'm just throwing that out as a theory, as a thesis, as a hypothesis. Like God, I mean, if God knows, I mean, if you say God is in control of the temptation. Right? And, and even if you remove it from the trials and the pain and the suffering, it's just the enticement. If he if he controls it, in other words, he can say, nope, 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 force filled up. You don't, that temptation cannot get to uh, him today. Like it's, it's a Saturday. Okay, God right there is saying, hey, there's about 10 temptations and I'm gonna keep uh, nine of them away from him tonight. So those temptations are not going to happen. He will not experience those tonight. But this one is going to get through. Now, if God allows that one to get through, knowing I'm going to sin, how do I understand that? He knows I'm going to sin. Now, I can sit there, but I had the ability not to. Okay, even if you say that I have the ability, God knows that I'm not in that particular case. So then somehow it has to be a part of his purpose and plan, right? And, and obviously, that purpose and plan can't just be for me to experience sin. It's got to be somehow that sin is going to be used to convict, sanctify, keep me humble. Damage, like, there, there's got to be, is there got to be a purpose in it? I don't know what we do with 1 Corinthians 10. What's interesting. A lot of people don't know which temptation it's referring to, so they just refer, refer it to all temptation. Um, the ver- next verse is, "Wherefore, my dear, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry." Now, if we say, "Is he only referring to idolatry here?" But he mentions a number of other... Is he only mentioning the specific sins that Israel committed? I, I don't know what you do with it. I, I really don't. It's... it's. I, I could sit here and speculate all day. I mean, I've now speculated for basically two hours. But I, I wanted you... Uh, make it very clear. My speculation has been obviously clearly based on this. I believe these commentaries are speculating. I don't think these commentaries have any answers. I don't think the sermons you listen to 1 Corinthians 10 have any, I don't think anybody has any answers. So you don't have a lot of solutions here, right? If you, let me, I'll try to make sure I help you understand my perspective here. If you say, if you say at all that God controls the temptation that anyone experiences, God controls it. Well, God knows which temptations you're going to fail, but He allowed it anyway. How do you how do you how do you process that? Right? It's like, okay, I'm gonna turn on the stove. I know, let's say I already have advanced knowledge that my child is going to burn their hand. I know they're going to burn their hand. I already, I've already seen it. I already got the information. I've already seen the video. And, I, and even though I know they're going to burn their hand on, that, on this particular Saturday in January 2022, I'm still going to go turn on the stove and I'm going to stand back and watch it, knowing it's going to happen. Now, they don't have to touch the stove. Let's say I believe that they have the ability to choose not to. Okay, great, but I still know they're going to do it. Now, I could go move them. I could keep them from the stove. I could turn the stove off. I could put something in front of the stove to keep them back. I could do something. But I, in this particular case, I remove all barriers. Let them go right up to the sto- to the stove and burn their hand. N- in other words, the minute you put God in charge of either the trial, the difficulty, or the temptation, you 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 reach all kinds of qu- questions. Now, I'm not, and I, and then this doesn't even get into the whole well, What is my ability or not my ability? Well, I have the ability to not sin. Well, but you're you're always gonna sin in some way. Well then I don't so do I have the ability or don't have the ability, or is this restricted in some way, shape, or form? I don't know. I'll throw this out there. What would happen? Just just remember. I love to not only teach theology, I like to get people to do theology. And doing theology is where you ask these questions and you create theses and hypotheses and you try to test them. What would happen? I'll just throw this out there. If we restrict 1 Corinthians 10, well, that doesn't even work. The context doesn't work. I was gonna say, what do we do? What do we do if we, well, maybe, 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 maybe I can make this work. What if we do if we restrict 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to only be referring to trial, And difficulty. What do I mean by that? The trial and the difficulty that Israel is facing was the wilderness, right? That God led them into these difficult circumstances. Now they responded to these circumstances in sinful ways. So, what if this is simply referring to every trial, every difficulty? Every adversity that you face is common to all men, and God allows those adversities into your life, knowing that you can handle them, knowing you won't be completely destroyed by them. Now, I know this. This raises look. This raises questions that people don't like because you have someone suffering something horrible, and it could be used like, well, you know. God knows what you can handle, but let's just go with this. Then then with that trial, with that struggle, there is a way to escape the trial and the struggle by trusting in God, praying to God, looking to God, resting in God. That this is not so much about an enticement to sin as much as trial, suffering, and difficulty, which can lead to sin. But we know we're going to sin. We know we're going to sin, so we can never stop sinning. Too, So the minute you say that this is referring to you have the ability to resist sin, that creates the problem of sinless perfection. But if it's just trial and difficulty, in other words, here's a trial, here's a difficulty, and you have a way of escaping the trial and difficulty and fleeing to God and resting in him. In other words, if that even if that trial, think of it this way, even if that trial and difficulty leads you to sin, right? Even if it leads you to sin, you're still secure in Christ because of your position, because in Christ you are sinless and you have perfect righteousness. So, in trial and difficulty, we run to Christ because even if it leads to sin, we will not be destroyed because we are covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Is this about escaping trial and difficulty from overwhelming us and destroying us? I'm not saying that's per. I'm not saying that's perfect in any way, shape, or form. But I don't. Th- I don't care which direction you go; it's not going to be perfect. MacArthur writes his commentary like it's simple. In fact, all these commentaries on 1 Corinthians 10 are just written like, "Oh, this is amazing. This is so simple. There's nothing simple about it. All right, I'll stop right there. It's now 12 o'clock. We've went from morning to p.m. still trying to figure this out, and I don't have any good answers, but I've now presented you with lots of think, thoughts, ideas. And I love to hear your thoughts. Email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And uh, well, if you're in the Discord channel, please, uh, I can't wait to hear what people have to say about this today. I can't wait to hear what people have to say about this today. Oh man, so many questions. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.